Racing World is presented by Race Control Magazine. Welcome into the Racing World podcast. I'm Darcy Watergrave along with David Turner and Bob McMurray. We'll look back and we'll look forward at all the events globally in motorsport. It's slowly but surely uh, the monster that is the internal combustion engine jumps back into life again, even though coronavirus, COVID is still rabid around the planet. We are still getting in our cars, we are still driving, and we're still enjoying every second of it. David, welcome to the program. I trust you're well. Uh, of course I'm well because we're going racing, haven't we? We've had like nearly two weeks of racing now, so it's back into it for everyone really across the world. I think it's great, and I know Bob's pretty barred up about it as well. <laughs> Certainly am. I mean, it's there's 43 events around the world this weekend. Not, there's probably only 43 spectators sharing the, all those events, I've got to say, but but nonetheless, there's 43 events happening and we're going all the way from the top, Formula One, all the way down to club racing and all around the world. So, yeah, what's not bad about it? And we'll be covering off uh, a number of these events. Obviously, we'll talk about supercars shortly. That surged back into life again over the weekend. David Turner's been a very busy boy. He's been uh, out with microphone in hand, um, polluting the ear holes of a couple of guests that will be joining us later on in the piece. And uh, obviously we forecast what's going to happen in IndyCar and Formula One, which get underway this weekend. I suppose first up, guys, uh, we'll address the supercars. I don't know about yourself, but uh, just to hear that engine note again, the hairs on the back of my head, neck stood up, I stood up. This is for real. I don't care there was no crowd. It's that pitch. It's that tone. It's, it's racing again. I think that was probably a lot of people feel exactly the same way around that. Oh, it, it was, and it was time, wasn't it? You know, like, as we said in our last show, the fact that we kind of almost had enough of the e-racing thing and it was time to get it back into the real stuff. Interesting thing that I've seen, and I saw it out of the IndyCar race as well, is the fact that the teams and the drivers are all sort of starting to, we won't say moan, but comment about how hard the day is because you've got a compressed day. But it's kind of like, well, same for everyone, boys. I think the looking at the supercars over the weekend, most of the drivers seem to enjoy it the fact that it was a very compressed um, situation for everybody. You know, you had to get used to the track, you had to get used to the car, get used to getting back in the car, practice, qualifying, racing, kind of all at once. And I thought it was pretty good. And there's a couple of surveys going on um, with the public saying, do you think this new format of racing for supercars is good, bad or indifferent? 78% said it was much better than the standard format. And I can see that. Suddenly we've gone to almost from a... Um, five-day test, if you like, in cricket terms, down to a 2020. So they're all doing it almost in one day. Well, not almost, it was in one day, effectively. You could have run that whole meeting in one day if you'd have um, just extended the races. So I thought, overall, I, I quite enjoyed it, <laughs> the whole thing, actually. And the chances of the category actually falling into line with that thought process, you'd expect to be rather high because obviously it comes down to exposure with COVID. It also comes down to the finances and there's not a lot of money floating around at the moment. So maybe they'll be forced to uh, congest this series, if you will, and make well, it very short uh, and sharp. Especially with the team bosses at home watching it on TV. <laughs> they suddenly realise what the hell do we need them there for? Well, because all the people doing the work are all there doing it. The engineers are engineering, the drivers are driving, the tyre changes are tyre changing. And the boss out the back, what did he do? Uh, yeah, he did the TV interviews. Well, you don't need it anymore. You can do that over the, over the web. So it could be a whole new dawn for supercars. I guess the only twist that comes into it, and it's not a negative thing, is what happens when you add a, a couple of other classes as to how does that work in a whole day. You know, it's great as it stood, 
But then again, there must have been some, you know, not that there were any fans there, but it would have been some big holes and things. So it worked fine with one class. So I guess you just have to look at how many classes you had to make that whole timetable work. But it, you know, it, it, it works cost-wise, doesn't it, for sure. But oh. those classes, those other classes could have fitted in with, yep. with the, oh, yeah. the holes in, the, in the, uh, the program. You know, I think they could have quite easily uh, maybe had a couple of classes before the whole day started, maybe two or three of the same classes doing other races during the day and one after the Supercars event. You could do it. You could do it. I, I thought it was um, – I thought it was – Pretty good, well, actually. Where there's a will, it's a way, and that's there something was. that this global pandemic has done. It's forced people to rethink, restructure, reinvent what we do, so it now sits in in the paradigm we're happy and, with. So. And also made it more um, <clears throat> unpredictable, if you like. And we've got Nick Pack Percat winning a race. Um, okay, the circumstances may swallowed have... Wind Cup alive. I'm <laughs> shaking my head, going, "What am I seeing here?" That's it was right. Amazing for the Be- young guy. It was because they had a, a you know. A, a <laughs> A lesser mountain of tyres to choose from. They had to get the thing right at the right time. The, the track made a difference. All sorts of things came together. It doesn't matter what it was. It was more unpredictable, which is good racing. Doesn't, that, way. doesn't that bring the word racing back into racing? Well, I thought so. I thought so. Uh, Darcy's not too sure about this. I can, <laughs> can tell from the look on his face. He's got a bit of a, a lemon going on well, here. Well, no, we have this on a lot of motorsport and I understand why, but I, I use the term artificial racing and it, and it still annoys me that uh, they are forced to, what, what did we run, five sets of four tyres over the weekend? So it did make things interesting but when you looked at the order of racing what was going on you knew it wasn't real in front of you because I'm running on a couple of lefts that I've been reversed and turned around I'm really struggling to get grip with the car and I know that when I go in and come out with four fresh boots it's going to change it all and it's all well and good it makes for exciting racing but I wonder if that even assists the lesser teams with the lesser money when they really want to have the best tyres and the best situation for their car so they can be at an optimum, where the best teams are going to be able to survive, I think, in that space a lot better than the lower teams. And so I'm thinking that in the end, Scott McLaughlin still ended up creaming everybody, was probably going to happen then. Did we really need to have that artificial situation in the name of racing. I know you don't like this either, no, Bob, no, but no. I... <clears throat> I understand what you're saying, and I understand that racing is is uh, could be called artificial in that, but where do you draw the line what is not artificial and what is artificial? All racing is artificial. <clears throat> you don't need wings on the backs of cars. <clears throat> you don't need um, a silhouette formula. You don't need all sorts of things if it's not artificial racing. The mere fact it's a formula means it's artificial. So all you're doing is expanding the artificialness, if you like, to make it, to make it more um, viewer-friendly, we'll say, to make it more uh, exciting for the public. If everybody went out there with different cars, then there was no artificialness about it, then you'd always get the same winner. Oh, well, we have at the moment, haven't we? Anyway, but I, I don't well, know where this line... it goes back to the same thing, though. Scott McLaughlin still gets to the top. Yeah, His yeah, team, okay. uh, Water, finds but its level, and they did that. Now, you're looking at me, David, and he's like, what about with IndyCar? Because we've got a situation there where it's far from. Wouldn't you agree? I think and we get great racing there. Yeah, variable with IndyCar is three, effectively, different types of car configuration, depending on the type of track you're running on. Supercar... It's pretty much the same type of car every time you take it out, and it's either a street course or a road course, you know. So I think that's the big variable. But then in that case, then it's more artificial in IndyCar because they've got a specific car for a specific track instead yeah, maybe, of having maybe. one car fits all. So, okay, there's this whole different philosophy about the artificial <laughs> racing, I know. And there's me that's in, in Formula One calling it 
if we're talking about artificial, there's nothing more artificial than Formula One. But it ends up with what you're watching on TV. If it's good, bad, or indifferent, yeah, that's what you want to see. But racing s- sport is in the business of entertainment, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's so, all it is. You know, that's all it is. I guess the big thing with supercar, and again, not being negative because we don't like negativity. What happens when they go to Winton in a couple of weeks' time with the COVID crisis in the state of Victoria? Well, do you think that'll play a part on things? We're getting into a whole different thing there. Maybe stay on track. The masks will be thicker. That's all. I guess it just shows <laughs> that we've still got to be very aware of the fact that COVID nineteen hasn't gone away. Whilst we've got all our sport back, we've still got you know issues globally, yeah. really. But it was great to see Supercar back. Sure, you know, McLaughlin was there, Wing Cup and Van Gisbergen were there as well. Well, actually, Shane Van Gisbergen wasn't really there, was he? Wasn't not not really as much there. as you'd expect. In the racing, I thought it was strange. I can understand the first race. They were giving up a certain amount of tyres to save for this, to save for that, whatever. I don't know. That's where it gets a bit silly. But then when he was supposed to have decent tyres in the second half of the second race, he wasn't there again. So I, I, I don't know. I thought a bit, um, I was a bit confused on his performance compared to Jamie Wincup, for instance, who, you know, well, you've got a pretty damn good chance. Five hundredth race qualifying on pole. The guy yeah. is the, the, he's an absolute freak in, in supercars, and it's yeah. great to see him still circulating. And then you look to Scott McLaughlin and go, well, here's your next freak coming. It doesn't matter what you do. And you look at the oh, they've got a better car, oh, they've got a faster car, oh, they've got a better team. Well, just look at his teammate. Yeah, and, and yep. it's just all right there in front of you. The guy is an extraordinarily gifted athlete. And I love the comment he made. He goes, I think we all got a bit sick of cartoon racing in referencing <laughs> yes, RBE yes, series yes. that are running yeah. in as well, which is a nice kind of touch from him. I kind of expected the Erebus team to do a little bit better. Um, they were probably my, I wouldn't say disappointment factor, but it was one that kind of stood out. David Reynolds admitted on the Saturday that they were struggling in terms of car setup versus time. Well, as we've just said, same for everyone, so suck it up. Um, you know, Deeper Squally's under a contract renewal thing now that always plays a part, but they just kind of, you know, they they didn't have their act together, I guess you'd say, by comparison to, you know, maybe Nick Peercat and, and Brad Jones Racing. You know, they, they were there and they scored, so good on them. Yeah, well, they say in supercars as much as most other formula, that if it comes out of the truck fast, it's going to be fast. Mm. So they got whatever they were looking at, they got it right in the first place. That's all there is to it. So, yeah, I, I mean, there were some surprises all the way up and down the field. I think there were some surprises, people that didn't really perform. You talk about... Um, uh, David Reynolds, he was struggling a big time the first day, but he climbed up in the yeah. end. He he came uh, six, uh, fifth in the first race, and I thought he did really well. In the second race, not so much, but um, he was still racing much more than he was going to at the weekend. So it, it comes back to the purity of a racing. It's all down to there's your car, sort it out between you and the engineer, and those who did succeeded. Those who didn't manage to sort it out did not succeed. That's all there is to it. Simple as that. Well, I complain about it being artificial, but it was exciting with the different tyre stock that all teams are using and when they chose to apply that stock. And we saw a situation, I think it was in race two, there were four guys fighting for the last podium position. It, yeah. it was stunning to watch. It was white knuckle ride. And I thought that the, the race craft and the responsibility of a lot of these guys was considering they've not really raced in anger in the best part of three or four months of, of, of high quality. I thought they were really responsible yeah. racing. Was, it, great yeah. to see. It, yeah. it was extremely disappointing to me to not see a car go 86 feet in the air, triple, <laughs> triple somersault, triple... 
triple um, hit the barriers, land on its roof, and then two seconds later be in fifth position in the race. That was a bit disappointing. I was kind of looking forward to that. After the driver hits reset. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is the Racing World Podcast. Darcy Watergrave, David Turner, and Bob McMurray. This is the supercars. They, of course, are coming back in Winton, as you touched on before, but that's a couple of weeks in the future. Uh, we'll go back into the past because, David, you've been catching up with some uh, young peddlers who are involved in Taupo a couple of weeks back. Yeah, well, I guess because of the relationship our country had in terms of its COVID levels, uh, we were able to break out of, you know, back down to level one a couple of weeks ago. And uh, the first motorsport event, if you like, that was open to the public kicked off at Taupo, which was the final round of the Pirelli Porsche Championship. So, you know, it was good to see them get back on track, be able to have the public there. Um, and again, just like we've just been talking about supercars, they condensed three races and qualifying all down to one day. So there was a practice on the Friday, and then, you know, you did everything else on the Saturday, and you were out of there Saturday night. So, you know, I commend them for doing that. Taupo, great venue, as we all know. Um, and, and it was good to see the first real event kickoff in New Zealand. And uh, young Connor Adam, who uh, is out of the 86 series, uh, you know, did a damn good job down there and clean sweep the whole weekend. And I had the chance to catch up with him and uh, just, you know, talk to him after the race about what the weekend was like. Yeah, I mean, over double the horsepower in a Porsche and um, probably double the grip as well. It's been a pretty cool weekend learning and um, I've really enjoyed it. I was lucky enough to have Will Bamba um, driver coach me over the weekend, which was really valuable. And having someone there to know how to drive those cars in the first place and give tips and teach us was, was probably the most valuable part. Well, you, you recently actually teamed up with uh, Will and, and Reed Harker in a 12-hour sim race, but, uh, uh, you know, three races around Taupo is a hell of a lot different to being in a sim, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it was it was probably good to keep a bit of race, um, race mileage, I suppose you'd say, in a way, on the simulator, but not, nothing can beat real track. So just, just to, to people that are listening to the podcast, the difference obviously between the 86 and, and then the, the cup car is obviously horsepower for a start and, and then the engine's in the back rather than the front. Um, what was the big takeaway factor for you from the weekend? Probably just mainly how the car generally re- reacts to, to corner speed and, and what you do with the throttle because obviously the weight transfer is so much different in a cup car compared to 86 because of where the engine's placed. So... Um, just getting my head around that and the braking power because all the braking zones were the same as the 86 in a cup car, but we're going, you know, way faster. So um, it was a really cool learning curve and I enjoyed it. Bit of a challenge. And I guess the big thing now is now we count down to what will be ultimately the final round of the Toyota 86 Championship at Hampton Downs, which we believe will be in August. And uh, you got to swap back to that car again. But that again is, you know, you're running fourth in that championship and that's all about a consistency season as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, we've probably had a slow start this season to, to what I'd like, but um, we had a couple of engineering um, changes in the team and we really um, came on song, I think, the last two rounds and I've really been enjoying it. So we're a bit far off, off first, but, I mean, consistency is key, I think, and, yeah, we'll probably end up fourth, I think. Are we going to see you in any of the uh, New Zealand endurance events this season? Uh, I'd like to. Um but we'll see. We have to see if we can work out a deal. Hopefully, in a Porsche, it would be quite cool. But uh, I'll drive anything with wheels on it. So really great talking to Connor because one of the big aspects that he he wanted to achieve there was the step up in horsepower from the '86, you know, to the Porsche, and he he just did it. He owned the weekend. You know, it was just a, a fantastic performance. But Bob, it says a lot too about what comes out of a class like '86, doesn't it? Mm. 
Yeah, it does. Um, the 86 class has been – it was slow to get going, but once it's got going now, there's some amazing New Zealand talent in there. And we've had Australians and all sorts of people in there as well. The last meeting, the last round of um, of the <laughs> the current championship, I suppose we should call it, um, happens on the first weekend of September. I think it's the first weekend, but 4th and 5th or whatever it is. I guess that's the first weekend. Um, so – it will be interesting to see if young Robotham can come across back from Australia uh, to spend his two weeks in, in repose in a, a hotel somewhere <laughs> in Auckland before he goes out racing because he and Peter Vodanovic are really, um, really tight on the championship. It'll be very exciting to see how they do. But it is simply exciting to see uh, so many young Kiwis come through and Connor's an example of all sorts of – all sorts. I wouldn't even hesitate uh, mention – many of them because there's so many young, exciting drivers coming through through 86s and then hopefully the Toyota Racing Series uh, or whatever they want to go on to. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing this, uh, getting back to a racetrack, to be honest. So, Connor Adam, he, he dominates. But what was the, the quality of the field like, David, as far as who was he racing against? It was good. There were, there was three what I would call full-time Porsche people in there with you know, McGovern, Robert Dong and... Uh, Kilpatrick there, you know, they're, they're regular Porsche front runners. So there was definitely a benchmark for them. Um, and Brian McGovern said to Connor after the meeting, you know, good job. And I think that whilst Brian took the championship because that was the final round of their series, the big big takeaway factor there was there was some respect from, if you call like to call it the old brigade to a, to a young kid. And um, and that that's a great statement as well. So yeah, he had to earn it. It wasn't. It certainly wasn't. A, oh, I'll just go down there and drive around and beat all these old boys. It was. Uh, you know, you you got to go and earn this if you want it. And and he did. So you know, as to what his career does now, who knows? Great that he was coached by um, Will Bamber over the weekend. That says a lot as well. You know, and that's that's going to be a good one to watch. Special place in my heart. Uh, Topol and Porsches. It was the first time I'd ever been given a hot lap in a Porsche, and it was Matt Halliday. And I thought the Porsches are a bit hairdressy. Like, oh, yeah, whatever, I got in it and I suddenly realised how aggressive and violent and intense those things are when you're sitting in the seat. It's like, okay, a genuine race car. I, I knew it was. But once you actually experience it around Topor, strapped into the seat, uh, brutes those things. Perhaps it's something brutes. to do with being with a real race driver as well. Possibly. Instead I wasn't of driving, driving it. Itself. I wasn't driving it. No, no, it was a real race car and I just sat in the passenger seat and I just smiled. That's all I did. Uh, this is uh, Racing World Podcast. Darcy, Bob and David with you. We've got uh, some interviews coming up around the WRC in New Zealand. Michael Goldstein is the WRC NZ CEO. Uh, we'll hear his conversation with David Turner shortly. Uh, but before we go to that, uh, let's just look forward to some big events that are coming up. And I suppose there's, there's none bigger uh, in the Open World Series anyway of uh, IndyCar is returning, or the second yeah. race back. And of course, the wonderful wide world of Formula One. That's it, Bob. Hold your horses. Well, it, it's an avalanche, <laughs> isn't it? It's an avalanche of motorsport all of a sudden. We've got this, this coming weekend, there are 43 events around the world that you, can be, you could class as uh, international, semi-international. I won't go into some of them because they're, they're a bit obscure, like the China Formula 4 Championship. Probably not on TV this weekend, but what we do have is Formula 1 from the Red Bull Ring which includes as well Formula 2 and Formula 3 from Red Bull Ring in, in Austria. Um, it's, uh, it, it will be good to see them coming back to racing, obviously, and there's been an awful lot of hype about uh, um, Formula 1 coming back, the teams in trouble, 
uh, Formula One in trouble. It just goes on and on and on because a lot of it has to be generated to make the something like 160 websites um, get news about Formula One. So a lot of the news is invented. But nonetheless, they're going to be going this weekend, which is fantastic. Also, they're going to, they'll be doing the same thing the weekend after because they're staying in Hungary, in um Austria, in Austria, Austria, before they go to Hungary the next weekend. So we've got three weekends of Formula One and two and three, and it'll be interesting to see how, how Liam Lawson and Marcus Armstrong go in their respective formulas, and I you know, I hope they do well, obviously. We've got IndyCar coming from the, the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the road course. The next day, that's on Saturday, um, the next day on Sunday is NASCAR from the Oval course, so that's a full-on place there. We've got uh, the Infinity Series there. We've got Formula 2000 from Mid-Ohio, Formula 1600 Mid-Ohio. We've got the IMSA WeatherTech. We've got Porsche Super Cup from Red Bull Ring. Oh, there's just so much going on. It's unbelievable. But it will be interesting to see in Formula 1 just who's coming out of that old box, as we say, fast, because they haven't got much time to, uh, to get things going. I'm fascinated to see how all these teams from um, England, for instance, are going to go to... Austria, you know, I'm talking COVID-19 now, go to Austria, stay there for a couple of weeks, then go to Hungary for the next race, and then come back into England for a race two weeks later at Silverstone, a double header again, two weekends, when they've still got a two-week isolation period coming back into England. I don't know how that's manageable yet, and I've not seen anything to say they've got exemption from doing it. And I've been talking to some of the people from, uh, from McLaren who are transporting all this stuff over there, they're not even sure at the moment how it's all going to work. So <laughs> this is going to be fascinating on the one hand to see Formula One, but on the other hand to see how the logistics of the whole thing the whole thing work. We'll see. Well, the second waves that are coming through now, there's got to be an asterisk next to all of these predictions because we simply don't know how it changes. No. How the and, ground uh, underneath is changing. And if there is one sport in the world that's international, it is Formula One. There's every nationality in the pit lane. There's a lot of nationalities on the grid and there's every nationality involved in it around the world. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a big old. It's a big call to actually start Formula One again, yep. and I know it's driven <clears throat> by the same way as uh, supercars and IndyCar and everybody else and NASCAR. It's driven by the the need to make television, therefore to get some income in. I know that, but it's um, yeah, you've got to look at it with a slightly jaundiced eye in some ways. Big big thing though, which I I had read recently, and Ross Braun had come out with it. You only have to have eight races, and it's technically a championship. Well, which is also technically uh, a television contract. Yes, well, I, I think maybe ten actually for television, but nonetheless, they'll they'll manage eight races. So but the, Zach the, Brown is talking about sixteen races. Well, big thing is you got to score score points straight away, don't you? You can't Absolutely. fall off the cliff because if you do, you might not get back. No, no, and they haven't so, got too many points on the board yet, have they? No. Where does favouritism lie then? What were your expectations around this first start around the Red Bull Ring? Around, I expect the usual suspects should pop out of the box with reasonable pace, reasonable speed. Is there going to be anything else there untoward yeah. over the weeks? Well, it's it's going to be fascinating to see the lower formula. I don't think you've got to worry too much about the top. There is going to be a Mercedes up there. There is going to be Red Bull up there. It's the Red Bull ring, for goodness sakes. You know, Max Verstappen. Um, and there is going to be Ferrari there. Now, it's interesting. There's, there's all sorts of talk about Ferrari coming back with an extra 30 horsepower. Whether this is a 30 horsepower they've found suddenly in the engine or whether this is a 30 horsepower, um, I shan't say where it's coming from. I don't know because they had various engine problems didn't they, at the beginning of the year. But um, 
they're all going to be there. The problem is what's going to happen in the midfield because we've got all sorts of people down in the midfield, like Renault, like McLaren, like Racing Point, like Haas. We don't even know if they're carrying on. Oh, Haas, the joker in the pack. Oh, yeah. But, <laughs> but Carl Haas has got to make a call at the moment. He doesn't know if he's going to be racing next year or not. He's thinking, well, I don't know. And all those other teams the same. Williams on the very yeah. brink of God knows what. I don't know. But so. if, you, if you go back to Barcelona, you know, when we had the what was the pre-season test – you know, Williams were in the equation there. So can they carry that over to Austria next weekend? Well, they say they, have, so. they say they have a budget for it. And, and it's only just last, you know, the last couple of days that McLaren have actually worked out to get another loan of £125 million, which happens to be from Bahrain and the... You know, the major shareholder in McLaren anyways, uh, Mumtalakut, which is a Bahraini corporation. So it didn't seem too difficult to get that. But nonetheless, the mere fact that they're looking for money to carry on racing and they're not the only ones is um, – it's quite a – there's a seismic shift coming in Formula 1 and it's not simply that they're going back to racing. There's a seismic shift coming in Formula 1 that is uh, – threatening the very future of Formula One indeed, I think. So we'll, we'll see. I'm going to watch it on, on Spark Sport this weekend. I'm going to be watching Sky Sport and I'm going to be watching every flipping sport that comes along. That's a really good point. I better make sure that my subscription's up to date with I Spark. did yesterday. <laughs> I did <laughs> yesterday. You're listening to the Racing <laughs> World podcast with Darcy, David and Bob still to come in the show. You'll hear from Michael Goldstein, WRC NZ CEO around the future of NZ Rally and we'll discuss IndyCar and their next shot. This is Racing World. Race Control Magazine is your IndyCar fan mag and so much more. Publishing monthly online on issuu.com, you'll find Race Control Magazine there for you to download and enjoy everything IndyCar and so much more. Behind the scenes features, race reports and the entire Road to Indy series are just part of what you'll find along with stunning images captured from the series leading photographers. Grab your copy today at iwsw.com to complete your motorsport read. Is the Racing World a podcast with Darcy, David, and Bob? And uh, David, as being said, a very busy boy. He's been out there with his recording device, his tin can and a string. He uh, caught up with uh, Michael Goldstein. He's the WRC NZ CEO. Uh, they're in it up to their neck after what happened. Obviously, still very keen to have that event back again in 2021. But you had a chat with him around that. Yeah, I did. I, I'd been doing some work with them, you know, for their promotion for the WRC 2020. And uh, then obviously, the, you know, with COVID and everything, 2020 is certainly not going to happen. And then the announcement of the draft calendar, and I emphasise the word draft, for 2021. And so I, I had the chance to catch up with Michael during the week and just talk about all of those events. Fingers crossed, Dave. Thanks for having me on. But um, yeah, we, we obviously uh, have had to cancel our event for 2020. And now we're going to be in limbo for another few weeks, waiting on the final calendar for 2021. There's been an, an enormous amount of effort going, not only by yourself, but PJ and the whole organising team to construct what was going to be Rally 2020. And obviously the effects of COVID played a, a big hand in that not happening. But just give people an idea of how much effort goes into putting together a WRC bid. Yeah, I guess to put your hand up to run an event, a global you know, event as part of the World Championship, you've got to have the support to do that. And you know, we had the support from AT um, for 2020, which, you know, 
to get public money is um, requires a sound business case, and um, you know we worked on that with ATED for for many months uh, before we were in a position to be able to bid. So that was all happening through 2018, 2019, and and we had that indicative green light about June last year. So look, the project, these kinds of things take time, and I guess that's the challenge for all of us as we look to the future because. Um, in my experience, you can't really get governments and sponsors to click, you know, click your fingers and make quick decisions. So, you know, having the uncertainty around 21, 22 and beyond doesn't help the WRC if they want to have some solid event organisers around the world. I guess too for rally fans, you know, we're we're obviously biased because it's New Zealand, but we do have some of the best rally roads in the world, really, don't we? Yeah, and fortunately, uh, our partners here understand that. You know, that's one of our one of the assets that we're blessed with. And I guess, you know, you asked about the work to be done, but when we when we um, confirmed that we were going to have the event in Auckland, one of the parameters was that we needed to have two days within the Auckland region. And the sporting team here thought that was going to be a real challenge because obviously Auckland's quite a resident, you know, it's quite got quite dense um, mm-hmm. housing through the city and, and even to the regional parts of Auckland. Um, so it took quite a bit of work to just look at some of the stages that we might be able to use and we needed to go quite a long way back in history to to look at what had been used in the past and, and look at some private landowners and and we got there like we, we'd built a fantastic route which included two days of, of rallying very close to Auckland um the, the CBD of Auckland which that's exactly what the WRC promoter asked from us which was to make rallying accessible to the people and we'd done that with, with two of the days of, of what was going to be Rally New Zealand 2020. Yeah, I think, you know, from what I I know from working with you early on, you know, we had the, the idea of, you know, Superstage at, at Mount Smart and then obviously the the now-mentioned Jack's Ridge Power Stage, if you like, and, and just phenomenal projects, both of those, and, and certainly it was about bringing rallying to the people rather than the people having to go for miles and miles and miles into maybe a paddock that they'd never been to before. This was a, a, a way of involving corporates as well and, and sponsors to bring uh, rallying much closer to them as well and give them an understanding of the sport. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know my background's not um, not in motorsport. It's it's in just major events more broadly. And, and having a venue like Jack's Ridge or Mount Smart opens rallying up to a different audience where people can – kind of be more introductory fans of rally and be able to go to one venue, see multiple cars, have a great experience, have food and beverage. The sponsors can go there. And you can be confident that there's going to be 10,000 plus people there. And all of a sudden it becomes a major event. And so what we had developed was really a series of major events from corporate events through to mass public events that would run from Wednesday to Sunday of our rally. And when you add those days up, it's it becomes a really big audience, which, you know, there's no doubt it would have been one of the biggest two or three sporting events in New Zealand this year. So that's what we'd spend a lot of time bringing together. And obviously, Jack's Ridge was, you know, the jewel in the crown for us because it's a genuine rallying stage. So both the purists and the introductory fans can both enjoy that venue, you know, 6.2 kilometres and highly technical and fantastic viewing. It's it's quite unique, I think, um, to have something purpose-built like that for for World Rally. And, you know, it's going to be used in this November for the City of Auckland Rally. 
Um, but let's hope we can use it for a WRC event in the future. Yes, well, that's certainly something that we can talk about, you know, in the future. But Jack Jack's Ridge is now firmly alive and kicking, and uh, and it will be a stage in in a rally potentially this year as as well as the future in in a WIC event. And I think that that's really a, a fantastic move by all of you guys that were involved in the promotion of WIC because I drove out there to the Jack's Ridge venue only a couple of weeks ago, and you know, from the downtown Auckland, you're talking less than half an hour drive, really, even in Auckland traffic. And uh, and suddenly you had um, you know rallying on your doorstep and and it gave you everything from high speed corners jumps forest section, um, you know it's an amazing way of educating the public around rally and and I think that WRC New Zealand needs to be extremely proud of exploiting those opportunities to the the greater masses if you like of rally and um, you know highlighting perhaps the skills that not only the likes of a Hayden Patton have but even some of our you know, developing drivers still that one day maybe they'll be in WRC. Yeah, absolutely. The venue's the venue's very unique and accessible, um, accessible not only for competitors but also for fans. And, um, I think Andrew Hawkswood, whose uh, whose property it's on, has has been phenomenal to deal with. Andrew's a unique guy, and um, you need people like that in society just to say, "Bugger it, let's let's get this done." And um, that's what he's done, and and it's now going to be a fantastic legacy for for rallying and and for events in Auckland. So, yeah, let's hope we can show it off to the world. Oh, fingers crossed, Michael. And I think that you know we, uh, lessons I've learned across the the sport, if you like, over multiple years is the fact that you never say no, and you guys have certainly never said no. And and PJ is a great motivator of of everybody when it comes to that, and his. You know, just amazing passion for for bringing WRC back to New Zealand, and I'm sure that you know 2021 the the FIA and, and the World Rally Promoter would be very silly to potentially ignore New Zealand, even though the calendar's semi set. We also know that calendars are never formalised until you know much closer towards the end of the year, and uh, fingers are very crossed for you and the rest of the team that uh, WRC returns to New Zealand in 2021. Yeah, thanks, David. We'll keep we'll keep pushing. That's the only thing that can be done at the moment is is keep putting our best foot forward. So we'll see what happens. Or putting a best foot flat to the ground and going as hard as you can. Racing World Podcast with Darcy, David, and Bob. Uh, you're just listening to uh, Michael Goldstein, a WRC NZ CEO. Are speaking with Mr. Turner, what's, what's your gut feeling around what's going to happen? They've got to get back on that calendar in 2021. I really praise those guys so much when I started to work with them and get behind the scenes of what they've been doing and people like Willard Martin, PJ obviously because he's a, a face of the whole campaign. It's years and years and years of work and I'm going to be biased here, you know, like, Sorry, Australia, but we deserve it. You mucked it up. You were going to let us have your event. Then you decided you didn't want it. Now you've got it back again. Come on, FIA. We've got the best rally roads in the world. Let's get on with it. They also had one of the best organisational boards in the world as well. The passion of PJ, uh, Peter Johnson, for rallying generally, but the New Zealand Rally, um, WRC New Zealand Rally, just absolutely staggering. I understand that Michael Goldstein has stepped back from the CEO position now, um, but I think he's still there in the background if anything yeah, no, if is. anything comes up again. And, yeah, I, I, gosh, you just so wanted to be here, and I've got so many issues which will take another hour and a half <laughs> about WRC not coming to New Zealand. Um, and going to other places is just, just ludicrous, in I my think, opinion. I think the, the great thing is they did everything that was asked of them from the rally promoter. 
you know, to the extent that they, they built an entire stage. It's, you know, 6.2 kilometres long, Jack's Ridge. I've been there, I've seen it. It's phenomenal. It's got jumps, it's got twisty bits, it's got a forest, it's, you know, you name but it's, it. But it's all... David, they did you, it. You no, know no. the power of television. You've worked in it all your life. Television is what rallying is. It's not yep. spectators at the track. We get a lot of spectators, obviously. It's television. So why the hell all these companies think that they they can't come to New Zealand because they don't sell enough cars in New Zealand? It's absolute rubbish. But when they see it on TV all the time, it's the you know TV sells it, and there's no better TV in rallying than watching rallying on roads in New Zealand. It's a simple fact. Ask the drivers. Ask anybody involved in rallying. So how the WRC feels about it, I don't know, but uh, go on, Murray Chandler, come on, mate, get in there, get going, Murray. <laughs> the cool thing about it is, yes, it is for television, but as Michael said in that interview when I talked to him, and, and we talked about it many times, the concept of Jack's Ridge and what they were going to do at Mount Smart was about bringing rallying to the people rather than the people having to go and find rallying. It wasn't about going to Cow Cop and standing in a paddock or somewhere. This was within a 30-minute drive of downtown Auckland, and that gave it a corporate and promotional level that we hadn't seen with WRC in this country before. So they deserve to be there in 2021, and let's let's hope they get there. Well, Andrew Hawkswood has uh, promised me a skid uh, up the ridge. I think he's going to let his son do the driving while I uh, sit in the idiot seat, and I'll be taking a recording advice so you can hear me squeal right the way along. I want to hear you actually talk. Like, <laughs> like one of those um, rally guys, you know, sitting in the passenger seat, the navigator saying left, right, left, right. Try that. Just see how you get on, because I understand it is not the easiest thing to do, Does I'd love to hear that. All right, that's and, it. Challenge accepted. <laughs> the only tip I can give you, uh, having been with Andrew Hawkswood in a rally car many years ago now, is um, hang on tight. I've done it with Hawkswood. I think his son's probably a step up, maybe slightly more. Uh, hang on tight. What's the word? Yeah, tight here, I think. I'm not going to pull any rank here, but I went with Colin McRae. Okay. Around, fine, the, uh, around the full right. test track in okay. England once. There you, you go. Win. This is the Racing World Podcast with Darcy, David, and Bob. We're going to wind things up as we look ahead to uh, IndyCar. And I suppose you've got to look to this weekend. Uh, can Scott Dixon, the Chip Ganassi race team, can they carry on the momentum that they achieved a couple of weeks back? Because he was in imperious form, him and his team. Big. Big difference this time, road course as opposed to a mega high bank oval. Um, the car obviously at Texas was fantastic out of the box. There's no reason why it won't be at, at the Grand Prix circuit at, at Indianapolis. Big thing if you look at history is it's always been dominated by Penske cars. Will Power and Simon Paginot between them have won every single event that has been there on the road course. Um, Paginot won it last year, then went on to win the 500 and did the double. Um, I kind of expect Penske to be strong there. The run to turn one, very critical. You know, you can get taken out there, certainly in the opening laps, so you've got to be patient, but you've got to have respect. So you would like to think that all the drivers around them don't do e-racing and uh, and play properly going into that first turn because the race needs to settle down and then we get to see a race. Yeah, Dixon will be in the top three. That's my pick. You can't you can't um, count Scott Dixon out of any IndyCar no. race anywhere, can you? And there has been a lot of chat um, on the websites this last week about his, I'll call it attempt, it wasn't his attempt, it was um, a, a tryout for Formula One. His manager, Stefan Johansson, says that um, Scott would have easily been in, uh, in Formula One and been very competitive in Formula One and could have even been world champion. I tend to agree with that because whatever you've seen Scott drive, he drives well. But this weekend there's a whole bunch of um, 
there's some newbies in the in the field as well, isn't there? So yeah. I guess like all racing, you've got to keep out of the way of those, or they've got to keep out of your way. But nonetheless, it's um, it's going to be a curtailed season for IndyCar, and Scott's in the very best seat at the moment. He's leading it. So um, yeah, what 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 can possibly go wrong? I think the other thing we see now <laughs> is that obviously you race at the road course this weekend, but then they're off to Road America, and it just goes on and on and on. So now we actually start to see a championship get shaped, and the survival of of teams and the fittest and how they, they cope with the in-between days at the workshop, just like supercars in Formula 1. But, you know, with IndyCar, it's going to be pretty relentless. And then, of course, there's the uh, Magic Indy 500, 104th running of the great race, uh, set for August, uh, with a crowd limited to 150,000 people. Limited, um, good grief. <laughs> so <laughs> I will believe that when I see it. Um, I, I hope for Roger Penske's sake, considering he's bought the Speedway, that it actually turns into something because it's a huge investment to run with no crowd. But it, it's a race that deserves to be there. I just hope that it doesn't suffer from maybe some of the things that it would normally have that it won't have um, because that is part of what makes the Indy 500 the Indy 500. That's but right. But, we'll uh, but as we know, as you just mentioned, that um, Roger Penske has bought effectively the uh, the IndyCar series, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the whole shooting match. And um, I, I can't see that Roger Penske is too worried about people not turning up uh, the money. He wants the thing to be successful. He's not worried about his investment necessarily at the moment. And of course, he's um, he's got NASCAR going on Saturday there as well, of which he's got cars in there with Logano and Keselowski at least. Um, and it's interesting that the um, there's a crossover this weekend, in effect, with um, with NASCAR and IndyCar in that the number forty eight car driven by Jimmy Johnson in NASCAR he's announced his retirement this year. This is his farewell lap or whatever they do. Why well, they can't just leave? I don't know. They have to do a farewell <laughs> season anyway. Um, he's announced his intention to try out for IndyCar. So yeah. next year you might even have Jimmy Johnson in IndyCar as well. So it's IndyCar is gaining in popularity like crazy now, isn't it? It really is. There's an awful lot of people involved or want to be in IndyCar. And it's interesting, once again today, in uh, Autosport magazine, um, they're talking about the Ferrari possible yes. move to um, it's not going away. to Indianapolis. Mm. No, but Ferrari have been moaning and bumping their gums about this for so long. It's not true. They even had an IndyCar once, but they never actually managed to do it. I'm not sure they can do it at the moment. But it'll be interesting to see, but that's way in the future. This weekend is going to be bum on sofa and watching quite a lot of it. And speaking of farewell tours, you've got TK on a farewell tour. Yeah, as yeah as well. Tony Canaan as well on a farewell um, tour. It's and just one, one other piece of Indy 500 news before we sort of give up on IndyCar for a while is the fact that uh, Fernando Alonso came out yesterday saying that he will be at the Indy 500 this year. Um, so I don't know how travel restrictions and stuff work. Well, there, he may be one of 150,000 spectators, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. That's yes, what he's going to do. So, and the McLaren Arrowsmith <laughs> racing team have said it's game on. So Alonso will try for that triple crown. That's he won't sure. be in a Honda-powered car, will he? No. No. <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, winds it up. That's the Racing World podcast for you. More of the same next week. Myself, Darcy Watergrave, with David Turner and Bob McMurray. And on behalf of both of those characters, uh, look after yourself and drive it like you stole it. Racing World is presented by Race Control Magazine. Perspective Group is a leading media production company based in Auckland, New Zealand. Established in 2009 by former TVNZ producer David Turner, Perspective Group offers you a vast arrangement of media options to fit any size or budget. 
It covers truly global services, supported by some of New Zealand's leading media talents. For more information, contact Perspective Group Limited at perspectivegroupltd at gmail.com and check out the website perspectivegroupltd.com where you'll find even more information on creating your media solutions.